You're listening to Drek FM. This is Steve Sansweet of Rancho Obi-Wan, and you're listening to the 602 Club. There was a little bar in Mill Valley where all the Starfleet trainees used to go. The 602 Club. You know it. <laughs> I was there more times than I can remember. The perfect liberty to kiss whomever he likes. I really couldn't care less. Was I under the impression he and I would be attending Slughorn's Christmas party together? Yes. Now, given the circumstances, I've had to make other arrangements. Have you? Yes. Why? Well, I just thought, seeing as neither of us can go with who we'd really like to, we should go together as friends. Why didn't I think of that? Who are you going with? Um, it's a surprise. Anyway, it's you we've got to worry about. You can't just take anyone. See that girl over there? That's Ramilda Vane. Apparently she's trying to smuggle you a love potion. Really? Hey, she's only interested in you because she thinks you're the chosen one. But I am the chosen one. Okay, sorry. Um, kidding. Um, ask someone I like. Someone cool. Welcome to the 602, I mean, the Leaky Cauldron. It's so great to be back here. Uh, I love getting to sit back and talk a little bit of Harry Potter with uh, some nice mead or maybe a maybe a, a, a hot butterbeer butter or something. I always imagine butterbeer being hot. Uh, we're here at episode 101 of the 602 Club. Man, we don't look a day over a century, I don't think. Uh, what do you think, Megan? Uh, I certainly don't feel a day over a century, so it's pretty freaking cool to be on your 101st episode. It's really exciting. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, if if you're what a century looks like, my friend, sweet damn. Yeah, so. <laughs> and likewise, right? Like, we're both looking pretty good if we're 101. Oh, man, that'd be awesome. <laughs> Call me back for the 111th episode, and then we can celebrate our... 11th birthdays together. 11th birthday. That's 111th birthday. Uh, yes. Um, well, I'm I'm really excited to be back. Uh, it's so much fun uh, going through this series as we work towards Fantastic Beasts and, and where to find them. And it's it's just it's just a blast to be over 100 now. Uh, again, I just want to say a huge thank you to everybody who. Uh, has been part of the show, uh, hosting wise, and it, because without the hosts, I, I, this show is boring. It's just it would be me blabbing on, and 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 so uh, I really I, I'm so cognizant of the fact that um, I have been very blessed. Want to thank so much, of course, uh, being here on Trek FM and and Chris Jones giving us this opportunity, and we love being here on Trek FM. Of course, uh, you can find all of the shows at iTunes.com/slash/TrekFM and. Uh, while you're at iTunes, um, we'd love to get some more star ratings and reviews because that really helps the show grow. Um, we've got a perfect five star rating right now, which I'm, I just want to say a huge thank you to everybody. It's woohoo! Well, that's right, raise raising the, the roof. roof over here. You guys can't see it. <laughs> oh, we're totally excited about that because uh, really, that's what makes this show rise in the rankings. It helps people find it, and and there are a lot of general geek shows out there. So while you're over on iTunes hit us up with a star rating and review. And of course, you'll definitely get mentioned on the show if you do give us a star rating and review. We're on Twitter at TrekFM, Facebook, facebook.com slash TrekFM. And of course, we've got the listeners-only discussion group, which is the Babel Conference. And you can find the Babel Conference there on Facebook. Just type Babel into the search field there. Uh, or you can go to the website at trek.fm and hit discussion on any of the menu bars uh, and, you know, really appreciate everybody who recently has uh, written in uh, for an email. I, thank you so much. Uh, in fact, you know, I'm thinking, you know, maybe we should just do a mail supplemental one day. So send in your questions. I'd love to get some questions. We'll get some people together and talk about the questions. Or I could just do my own show and, and answer those questions for you if you just want to know more about me or things alike or whatever. Yeah. Go to trek.fm slash contact, choose a show, choose the 602 Club. That'll come straight to me, and I'd love to answer some questions uh, in a supplemental for everyone. But that's not why we're here. We're here to talk about Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince, uh, which, uh, you know, I, I think 
at this point, Megan, you know, we've been talking for a while, and and this one has a really interesting, almost cold open. Yeah, it does. Uh, the book has, a, yeah, a really interesting cold open, but this one's different. And what did you, I just want to dive right in. What did you think about the way that they decide to open the film with the Death Eater attacks, and then, of course, with what they do with Harry? Well, um, I, I do like how they um, kind of dive right in to this movie. We get a really brief recap of where we left off in the last film. And then, yeah, the Dementor attacks are um, pretty creepy. I do think the beginning is kind of awkward, though, because we've just come off of this emotional roller coaster from the last movie. And uh, then we end up spending all of this time just kind of following Harry around London while he's macking on some chicks. And it's like, okay, I get it. He's more of an adult now. Um, and she is pretty cute, so I totally get it. But um, it's not quite what I was expecting from a Harry Potter movie, I think. Well, and it, it it's very interesting. So if for anyone who hasn't read the, the books, and this is one of the things I've been trying to put myself in the mindset of somebody who hasn't read the books... The book does start with a meeting between the new Minister for Magic, Rufus Scrimgeour, as well as uh, the Prime Minister uh, for the Muggles, and they're having a meeting about all of these attacks that have been happening all over London and the United Kingdom. And so I, I thought it was interesting that the movie does that thing where instead of telling you what's been happening they're just going to show you which i think is great you know the fact that they're showing you what the death eaters are doing all over the uk and especially in london is really powerful i mean it it lets us know voldemort's here and things are going pretty badly for everyone and uh, it's also i think a good way to set up and it should be a good way to set up the fact that the only way to stop what's happening is for Voldemort to be destroyed, you know, for him to be stopped. So I think that's an impressive way to start the movie. But and then we get to that point what you're talking about, Megan, which I think it is kind of weird because Harry is kind of gallivanting around London on the underground as some sort of risk taking Lothario. <laughs> yeah. What? I mean, there's no way that Harry Potter is being allowed by Dumbledore or the rest of the Order of the Phoenix to do anything by himself. I mean, it, it just, it, it made no sense. And it's then so dangerous. He has that converse, yeah. And then he has the conversation with Dumbledore. He's like, well, I like riding around on trains. It takes my mind off things. You're like, what? <laughs> like, weird. I mean, he's, he's most wanted by Voldemort. Yeah. Right. And he's walking around reading papers that literally have his picture in them. Like that's not totally bizarre and wouldn't completely give him away. Even the girl in the shop, she's like, I swear I saw those pictures move. Even a muggle could potentially pick up on something weird going on the way that he's behaving at the beginning of the movie. Well, and, and when she says, um, you know, who's this Harry Potter and he's like ah, a bit of a tosser really yeah. and I'm thinking yeah you are. you are a bit of a tosser I you just you uh, and that's what I what what's so strange about the the opening of the film you know I think it starts out really strong with the Death Eater attacks but then when we get to Harry it's so strange because it's so disjointed yeah. because the rest of the movie is trying to tell us in every way possible that Harry is in love with Ginny like we finally got to that point in the storyline where you know Harry and Ginny are getting closer and they're finally going to be together in this movie. But the beginning of the movie does everything it can to tell you that Harry apparently is just some sort of like teenager d bag. <laughs> yeah, like he's, I, a he's teenage just, boy. <laughs> uh, he's the worst of a teenage boy, you know. Um, Pretending to have a real heart for somebody, but being ready to, you know, get it on with whoever, I just don't understand. <laughs> He's a teenage boy. Like, I I can forgive. I can forgive it. Um, but it is, uh, it's a little awkward, especially because of how um, 
heavily they put the Ginny storyline into the forefront and uh, just they really, really push that, which I feel like they kind of have to do because I didn't feel like it was pushed as hard in the book when I was reading the books. Um, for me, that relationship kind of came out of left field in the books. Um, so I think they were trying to avoid that in the films. Yeah, that's interesting because for me, I always kind of felt that relationship there. And it was one of those things that was just in the background and, and it would happen when it would ha- it was going to happen. It, it was just something that was going to take time. And, and I actually really love the fact that, you know, Jenny is a character, and I guess it's a great time to talk about it. She's a character who is in love with Harry, but her life is not going to be defined yeah, by Harry. That is one of the things I really like about her. Right. If if she's not going to see him, she's going to live her life. You know, she's going to go be with other people and, and try out other relationships, see if they work, you know. And, and I think that's one of the things that was really wonderful about Ginny and Hermione is that both of them, uh, you know, it's clear throughout the series, I think, that they have certain people that they do like, but they don't wait for them to just be there for them. You know, uh, they both you know, Hermione with Crumb and, and Ginny with a few other people uh, that she she dates throughout the series. But it's it's because she's not going to be defined by that. Uh, and I think that's a really cool thing, the fact that, you know, this show, it, it's very subtle. Yeah. But it's giving you a great uh, look at a character that, you know, she is who she is. They behave they behave like normal people, right? They they don't get obsessive about these relationships that are clearly not going to work out. They decide to move on with their lives, right? Um, so it's really great to see female characters behaving that way because so often they tend to be pushed into these obsessive uh, relationships, right? Um, so it's nice to see them behaving like normal people. Well, and back a little bit, you know, so the opening of the film not a huge fan of the fact of what they they're doing with harry but the other thing that i was really disappointed in is that you know in the book it 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 starts off very intentionally that harry has gotten a letter from dumbledore and he says to harry i'm going to take a much more you know active approach basically in your learning this year and we are going to be diving in and discovering all we can about Voldemort together so that we can find a way to defeat him. That is never talked about in this film. Like, there is nowhere where, I mean, and it could have been an easy conversation because Dumbledore and Harry have their scenes together when they go to recruit Slughorn, but it's never stated there. So, again, if, if you haven't read the book, this movie makes no sense. You're like, what's going on? Like, it doesn't really do a great job of coming together. And I think that's really frustrating. Yeah, I think like I think they had a lot that they were trying to fit in here. And I think there are certain aspects like what you're talking about that suffer because of it. All that being said, though, I did still really enjoy this movie. It's been a really long time since I watched it. And uh, since our last discussion... Um, I was like, I just got to watch the next one. So I had I dove right in and was ready to go within a couple days of us recording our last episode. Um, But yeah, I do think there are aspects of the story that suffer. And since it's been so long since I've seen the movie and read the books, there were some things that I was confused about and that I just didn't fully remember from my history with the Harry Potter universe. So uh, I, I felt like, man, I should have reread the book before I watched this movie. <laughs> well, and it is one of those where there are quite a bit of changes yeah. to the film. Uh, the fact that, one, uh, there are a, a, a bunch of different pensive trips that aren't there. Mm. And really what's frustrating about it is in that way, You're not helping the audience who's just only seen the movies understand Voldemort, but you're also not helping set up what's supposed to come in the next film. So if you walk out of this movie and you've only seen the movies and you never read the books, you barely have an idea of what a Horcrux is and what they're searching for. You know, Rowling does a great job in the book of showing you different 
horcruxes that they're going to be looking for. And then I think there's about like three or four, I think there's three that they still aren't quite sure of, but they have an idea of what they are. This, you have like an idea of what one of them is and the rest is a complete mystery. So it's like those kind of changes, I think really actually hurt not only this story, but the next story. And it's frustrating because this whole thing is supposed to be about, and this whole story is about the setup. I mean, it really is. It is the setup for the end. Yeah. And if you only watch the movies, this is a really bad setup for the end because you don't really understand what's being set up. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I was definitely confused about a couple of things for sure. Well, and kind of going on on some of those changes, um, I, I was really frustrated that in the middle of the movie, instead of Scrimger visiting the borough and kind of continuing the theme uh, that was so prevalent in the fifth movie, which is politics and the way that politics tries to cover up a multitude of sins and bad things that are happening. And that's a huge part of this book because Harry is being recruited actively by the ministry to try and come on as the public face of saying the ministry is doing everything it should and Harry Potter's behind us. You know, uh, and none of that's no. in the movie. And it's very frustrating because that's such a great theme that connects so well with the last book in the last film. Even the film does a great job of, of showing that political side. And instead of having that really big scene at the borough at Christmas at, at the Weasley's house, we have a weird action scene that's not in the movie and is just really dumb. It is dumb. Um, it's a really awkward scene, and it, a lot of characters' actions don't make a lot of sense to me in that scene. And when it happened, I was like, I, I don't remember this at all. Why don't I remember this at all? <laughs> it's because it's not in the book. So, yeah, I mean, them running off into the cornfield all by themselves and Jenny running after Harry, it was just, it was just awkward. Yeah, it just, it doesn't, it doesn't fit. Yeah. At all. And I, I think maybe that they just felt like they needed an action scene or something. But I, I feel like at that point of the story, it would have been much better if you had just been kind of weaving in uh, one of the themes that you, you had had in the fifth movie and continuing that theme here. Because it also is a theme that continues on into the seventh book as well of the way in which government, because the government's about to be overtaken. And and so I think there's just such a layer and a depth that you just miss when you just add in a dumb action scene that has no effect on any of the characters because we know none of them are going to die. You know, it's it just, it it doesn't help. Why destroy the borough, right? Yeah. (laughs) Because they're just going to be there again in the next movie. Yeah. You know the, the, the and the and you already know that by the time you're making this this movie, you know what comes next. So it doesn't make any sense. It, it's just a very it's it's a wasted like 7 minutes of screen time. Yeah. And 7 minutes is a long time. Yeah. In a movie that's 2 hours and like 30 some odd minutes, why don't you just give us another pensive scene then so at least we understand? I mean, you could do two pensive scenes in seven minutes to help explain Voldemort better. This just doesn't do anything, so I, I don't understand. It helps us know that Harry and Ginny are even closer together than we thought. Oh, because they've been brought yeah. together by battle? Yeah, she that's, runs after that, him. Yeah, that doesn't... Uh, them almost kissing on the scene would have... I, I mean, it would have been so much better, you know, they're they're on the stair there and, and they almost kiss and it would have been so much better if the if there had just been like a door knock and it had been Scrimgeour coming and saying, you know, I need to talk to Harry. Um, anyway, uh, I, I just... Uh, and, we gotta uh, give Bellatrix so more screen time. I mean, I, she's fantastic, uh, you know, but that's that's just not necessary in this film. Um, <laughs> well, and it and it... It's funny because, too, I, I was really shocked that at the end of the film, 
there isn't any of the Battle of Hogwarts because that's a, a part of the book where it kind of does the Lord of the Rings kind of thing or the Chronicles of Narnia where it happens and then you're told the story later because Harry's busy in the story at that point. It's really from his point of yeah. view. But it's a big thing that's happening all over the school and like there's none of that. And I, it was really interesting to me that the end of the film is so low key. Like the stakes seem so low almost and whereas i felt like in the book this was the most emotional that i was anytime that i was reading harry potter because from all the time that harry had been spending with dumbledore and everything that's going on it just feels like oh what are they going to do without him you know but i'm not left with that in the movie i don't know what did, did it work for you the change that they make there in the way that they handle that, especially Dumbledore's death? Well, I think that his death definitely feels more hollow in the movie. And I don't know if that is the fault of this movie or of all of the movies put together, right? Because I feel like Dumbledore is not as close to us as, a, as movie viewers as he becomes to us as book readers. Because I remember when I read this book, part of the reason I've only read this book once is because of Dumbledore. Because it's so emotional for me. I was crying for like five chapters because I knew it was coming. I could sense it coming and it was devastating to me. Um, and then after it happened, the book continues for a little while and it was devastating. Uh, watching the movie, it doesn't feel that way at all. And uh, you know it's coming. You sense it coming in the same way. But it, it just did not have the emotional resonance. I, I do think that is the fault of the series as a whole, as opposed to just this one movie, because he's just not that same. He's not this. He's not the spirit of the movies in the same way as he is the spirit of the books. I think you make a really good point, and I, I love what you're saying, because, and I think you could have, you know, if I'm being critical. If I put my critical pants on, which I wore today, luckily, <laughs> uh, if I put those on, I'm thinking if the movie had started off with Dumbledore's letter or just Dumbledore meeting Harry, say, uh, you know, somewhere together, and them having the conversation about Dumbledore saying, I, I, I need to take an active role in teaching you this year, and I want you to go on this journey with me. And making it about that relationship, like that the movie, you know, the, the movies always just follow Harry's story. And I feel like they don't do a good job really of following Harry's story as much in this movie yeah. because they're not connecting him with Dumbledore as much as you need to be, uh, you need to have that connection because... Like you said, there's a hollowness to the death of Dumbledore because we we haven't spent that quality time of those two together. I mean, a good chunk of the book of of the Half Blood Prince is Harry and Dumbledore together exploring the utter scary depths of the evilest wizard that's ever been alive and trying to figure out a way to bring him down together. And that partnership there. You don't feel that when he's dead, what's Harry going to do in the movie, yeah. I don't think. And that, that is frustrating. And I, I think you're right. It's, it's definitely a fault of the entire series, but it's definitely, I think, a big fault of just the screenwriting for this film. Yeah, I could agree with you there. And like you said, because we're not necessarily just following Harry's story in this movie, we're also following... Snape's story and we're also following Malfoy's, Malfoy's story to an extent and so we're starting our emotions are split between a lot of different characters in this film and I don't think that uh, it ever gets us fully focused on those emotions across all three of them yeah no I, I think you're absolutely right there is there does seem to be a little bit too much focus on Malfoy mm. Well, there has to be, though. Yeah. Right, right. It, yeah, but 
I don't know. It, it, and maybe it's just the way that it, it shot and done and everything. Um, I don't know. They could have used but, their yeah. time more efficiently. I feel like this film yes, is not yes. as efficiently and tightly directed as it could have been. And I think that part of it, again, I think just comes to the script. Yeah. Like, I feel like the, the script is so tight and so lean for the fifth movie, which it's not Steve Cloves who writes that. And they find a way to distill the most important aspects, I think, of that book. And that's the longest book. Yeah. And yet this one's not the longest and they're not able to, I think, find the narrative flow that's tight and lean and, and focused and feels like it's really doing all that it needs to do. Because again, this book has so much important information in it that's just being left out and you're hurting your audience. So I, I think it's a frustration because also... I think one of the changes that really hurts the whole Dumbledore story is the fact that there's no funeral yeah. at the end. That's part of the things that makes you bawl the most when you're reading the book is having to go through that. You've already gone through the horrible events and then you have to go through the funeral, which is you you go through the whole emotional arc of losing someone you love when you read the book. Mm -hmm. Well, and, and then the after effects of the funeral of, you know, Fox leaves mm -hmm. forever Ginny and Harry actually breaking up yeah. because he he has to go do what he's got to do, this mission that Dumbledore sent him on. And again, it's a decent scene at the end of the movie, but it doesn't work great because it's just not as impactful because you don't truly, if you're, again, if you're just watching the movie, you don't necessarily get exactly what Harry's going to do. And you honestly don't have any idea what he's searching for other than the fact that you know that it could be anything. Yeah. So it's like, oh, well, that's a literal needle in a haystack. Yeah, actually, it didn't even really stand out to me watching it this time that they were deciding not to come back to Hogwarts. I, I don't think that was made overtly clear to me. Yeah, no, it, it's it's there because Harry, you know, is talking about how he's not going to come back and... Hermione saying, you know, well, you're sometimes really dense. We're we're going to go with you. I don't but yeah, it like it didn't it didn't click to me. I j I mean, and I just watched this movie and that didn't click to me until you said it just now. <laughs> well, and and there's another a, a big change that happens because this whole movie is called The Half-Blood Prince. Yeah. And in the book and of course in the film it's revealed that the Half-Blood Prince is Snape. Because we don't get the funeral and we don't get Hermione finally figuring out who and how Snape is the Half-Blood Prince, we don't get any of that information. The reveal of the fact that he is the Half-Blood Prince, it almost, it, 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 people might hate me for saying this, but it feels like finding out Khan is Khan in Star Trek Into Darkness. <laughs> it only matters if you've seen The Wrath of Khan. Otherwise, if you don't, you're like, okay, so it's Khan, that's great. What does that it's mean? the same way as like, oh, he's the Half-Blood Prince. I mean, what does that mean? If you haven't yeah. read the book, you don't really know because you don't get any information on what that means to Snape. And what's interesting is the information that it kind of gives you about that character as well, especially as we're moving in to the last story. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you there because, again, being so far removed from the last time I read the books, I remembered who it was, but I, I didn't remember the significance of why he called himself that. But I did really love that part of the story watching watching it this time was Harry playing around with the book and uh, knowing who it was and watching him excel in potions because of it and really drive Hermione crazy. And I love the moment when he uses that Sectumsempra curse and how devastatingly horrific that curse is and he used it without having any idea what it would do which is one of the stupidest things that he could have possibly done especially after being warned by Hermione all semester like you don't know who wrote this stuff you can't just take it with a grain of salt right um, you have to be careful and I, I do love how that's how it kind of reveals itself to Snape um, but I, I don't think it did that storyline as much justice as it could have. Well, because it's interesting in the book, it's revealed that Snape's mother was, her last name was yeah. Prince. And Snape hates his muggle father. 
Therefore, he calls himself the Half-Blood Prince in honor of his mother and who she is and what she represents. And it's, it's a badge of honor for him, obviously, when he's you know so connected with Voldemort in his early years that he's the half-blood prince. He, he's claiming only the, the blood that he would consider to be any good yeah. at that point. And, and that's a really important aspect. It's and just, it's not it, there at unfortunately, all. Yeah, it's no, you get none of that because, again, that's something that gets revealed at the funeral as Harry and Hermione and Ron talk with each other. Yeah. And she's finally unraveled the mystery of who this half-blood prince is. Because the whole book, too, and she's in the library. She can't figure out who it is. And I thought that was really interesting um, aspect of the story. And again, it just it gives you more depth to you know why it's called this, what the 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 impact you're supposed to get yeah. from it. Um, you know, and it's just not there. So uh, I don't know. It's it, a lot of the changes. I feel like from book to movie here really are a detriment to this story. I feel like in any Harry Potter book, just like in Lord of the Rings, always go back to Rowling. You know, always go back to Tolkien. They knew what they were doing. <laughs> um, and so if you go back to the source material, you're really going to be better off than if you stray too far. And I feel like, I feel like this is the movie... It strays so far from its source material, it has a hard time writing that ship, uh, and 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 so and that's kind of a frustration yeah. for me. Well, I'll tell you what's not frustrating though is getting more Alan Rickman. I was so excited to get more. That of him is in true, this movie. and he's just phenomenal. Oh, he's excellent. Yeah, he is. Uh, I miss him so much. I love when he's talking to Harry at the party, you know, and he's telling him that Dumbledore won't be around. <laughs> And Harry asks him a question after he's finished talking, and he just looks at him a little bit, just like quickly, and turns yeah. and walks I away. I mean, there's just... It's like the best. There's so much brilliant acting going on, and there's always a lot of subtlety happening with him and Dan Radcliffe when they're on camera together. You can... I think I've said this before on a previous episode, is you can really... If you're looking at them as actors, you can really see that mentor-mentee relationship coming through on screen, and it's so beautifully done. Even if it's even if there's stuff happening that we don't necessarily agree with, you can really appreciate this beautiful acting that's happening on screen. I, exactly. No, I completely agree with you, and I feel like Alan Rickman is is just uh, as divine as yeah. ever <laughs> as he is as an actor in he this really film, is. and yeah, he does himself proud. One, you know, we have one really big new character in the film, I guess, to talk about, and that is Slughorn. And I just wondered what you thought about him and his portrayal, uh, uh, Jim Brumbent coming in and, and playing the role. Did he kind of fit what you thought of in, in the book, and did he bring that to life in a way that you were happy with? Um, You know, I love, I love Broadbent. Um, so I was just really excited to see him. I think he works well in the role. I I liked his addition to the cast and I like how he's he's kind of slimy in in a way but yes. You kind of forgive him for it because you genuinely kind of want to hang out with this guy because even though he's one of those annoying name droppers who doesn't necessarily do a lot of things himself, he kind of latches onto other people's coattails. He does have all of these really incredible connections and really incredible stories. And I thought he did a great job of portraying that aspect of the character. What's interesting about him, I think you really nailed it. He doesn't seem to have an innate amount of talent himself. His talent seems to be to recognize talent in yeah. others and to foster it. And so he has the ability it seems like he is a very good teacher in his class he's obviously good at, at, at teaching his students and, and kind of it, being able to find those people that have the the rare abilities and he, he has a way of being able to foster that and really I, I think bring out some of the best in yeah. them 
uh, by making them feel special and cared about and, and all of that. And so, yeah, it is a really interesting thing. It, it, there is a huge amount of selfishness that goes into it, but there's something else that's actually beneficial for those who are benefiting from that. And I think that's a really interesting thing to watch. And I think Broadbent just plays well. The only thing I would have loved is if he was um, a little bit larger. Mm, I could uh, see that. Cause, and, and, he, and he doesn't have a mustache because I remember in the book he has a big, you know, burly mustache, which would have been fun. But no, I think he brings a lot of fun to the role. Uh, and in that first scene, you have him with Dumbledore and Harry and they fix the room and all. It's it's perfect. I, I think it's really yeah. well done. You know, so. the only thing that would have made it better is if they had styled him a little bit more closely to his character from Moulin Rouge. Oh. It would have been <laughs> like that much better. Um, because as bad as that movie is, it's a guilty pleasure of mine. And and Jim Brockman is so great in that film. And it's kind of a similar character, right? Like he's taking these people who have talent and bringing them to him, but he's also very questionable um, in his line of work. Like he, he runs a whorehouse, mm-hmm. right? Um, so I like these characters that he plays, like Slughorn, where they're they're so complicated. What a complicated character that is, right? Like you said, he can identify these great aspects in people, but then he also just completely tosses people away if he doesn't think they're of value. Someone like Neville, who is actually of great value. He is just shy and quiet and not flashy about his talents. Um, So, you know, he's drawn in by flash and stardom, uh, which is not necessarily a great trait to have. So I, I love how complicated he is as a char- as a character. And yeah, I really don't know who I would have cast instead of Jim Broadbent, to be totally honest. Yeah, I can't think of anyone. You know, I have to say, uh, yeah, Moulin Rouge, that's where I fell even more in love with you, <laughs> McGregor, when I learned he oh could sing. Oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> and uh, the fact that all you need is love. <laughs> I'm gonna have to watch um, that. I've been thinking about it recently. Uh, yeah, I'm just I just need to I just need to listen to that song because it's running in my head now. Uh, but it's he is he he really is is great in the role, and I'm I'm so glad that they pulled him in another fantastic British yeah. actor into the Harry Potter universe. Um, and, and that's one of the things about this movie, uh, bouncing off of Broadbent and Slughorn. I think it's it's interesting because this movie is the funniest of all of them, I yeah, think. Yeah, I, I uh, think so. You know, even the fourth movie, this one is the one there's the most comedy, and I think it's because that love is in the air, <laughs> and everybody's a little bit, you know, in the mood. The hormones uh, are definitely and, flowing mm-hmm. in this movie. <laughs> uh, the hormones are flowing like butterbeer. <laughs> like spice. And so, exactly. <laughs> and it's... It's great. I mean, and the kids are really responding to it in, in, in the way that they're bringing that all to life. And I loved it. I, I think that to me is the thing that works the best in yeah. this film. Yeah, they nailed the teenage angst. They did a great job of that in the last one, too. Like, just like we said, they're, they've really been nailing that this stage of teenagehood, right? <laughs> that awkward relationship building time in a teenager's life well and and the way in which you know the different characters are kind of clueless about things especially ron is very funny and uh, i have to say that tipsy hermione is the best hermione she's yeah she's so funny and she's like hugging her boys you know um it was it's it's adorable and uh it's not in the book but the scene that they have with harry and Hermione on yeah, the steps. Yeah, isn't that a beautiful little scene? It's the best scene yeah. in the film. And it's because those two actors make you believe that they are best friends. Yeah. And they're both heartbroken because the people that they do love don't seem to see it. Um, and it... it I have to say Emma Watson and Daniel Radcliffe give a masterful performance in that scene because it just feel, I mean, I don't know about you, but 
I had plenty of those kind of conversations uh, in high school and in college and whatnot and feeling like that and sitting down with a good friend and, and just, it yeah. was awful. And I can feel that in, in that scene. And I just, I absolutely 100% adore And there's something really special too about the fact that they're both going through the exact same thing at the exact same time. And so they're able to sympathize with one another in an even extra special way, right? Because when you're going through something, it feels so much different than it does after you've made it through it. So it's it's easy to give advice after you've made it through something difficult like that. But when you're both in it together, uh, friends can take such really special strength from one another when you're having to fight the same battles together. Well, and this is interesting, too, because, you know, think back on the books. A lot of the books, Harry is between Ron and Hermione who are fighting. Right, yeah. Or... They're both fighting with Hermione. And and so there's this back and forth in the books. And then part of that is just that's what, you know, kids of that age do. It's just the way it is. But this was the only movie where a majority of it, Ron, Harry, and Hermione aren't all together all the yeah. time. Because Harry's bouncing back and forth between his friends because they're fighting. And it was really interesting. And it, it worked really mm -hmm. well. I thought they played it. I, just everything about the way they made that work was wonderful, and I was—I I don't know—that's to me again the interpersonal relationships between the kids. All of that stuff was working like gangbusters yeah. in this film. It's—it's it's really the best part. Yeah, of the I completely movie. agree with you there. And that leads me to one of the most interesting things about the story is that Harry himself. He's really smart. Like, he figures out what's going on in a lot of this story, and nobody believes yeah. him. <laughs> he knows exactly what Draco's doing, and nobody will believe him because everybody just thinks he's like, oh, you just don't like Draco. Well, can you blame them, though? I mean, he spent six years just hating. The two of them have spent six years just going after one another, just poking and prodding at each other. So it's easy to dismiss that, right? especially when it's two teenagers. And nobody would, first of all, people don't even believe that Voldemort is really back or they're just starting to realize it, right? So it makes sense to me that people wouldn't, would not jump to the conclusion that he's using a child as a weapon. Well, and that, I mean, gets into something that's really interesting. One is that it goes to show that what Harry does want to be which is an or, he's already yeah, good at. it does. Because he's already been able to pick up on the things that other people can't when it comes to people involved in dark wizardry. I think that's fantastic. Yeah. But also, I think it goes to this, this interesting idea, like you said, Voldemort using a child as a weapon uh, and just how evil he is it it leads to something that's i think truly fascinating in the story of watching this trial of draco malfoy um i think uh you know that's something that was really fascinating to see voldemort use malfoy because nobody would believe that somebody would use a kid like that but that happens in our world every day yeah and and it's deplorable that people do that it was it was interesting too because throughout the story, you know, Malfoy has always been kind of a little, yeah, you know what I'm thinking, a little. Uh, he's been one of those, <laughs> yeah, one of those or one of those D words. Um, pick whatever ones you want, but uh, dog, you know that. Yeah, you know you're on the right track. What's interesting here is to watch his mother and him be put in this awful situation. And we don't see Lucius in this film, but we will in the next one. And the Malfoys are really beginning to realize in a lot of ways that everything they said they always wanted may not be what they always thought they wanted. Yeah, yeah I, I, I particularly love um, that scene at the beginning uh, when you see Snape take the unbreakable curse with Narcissa. Um, and I think that Helen McRory's performance as um, as Narcissa Malfoy is particularly moving, even though she's not even in the film for that long. 
but you really feel for her as a mother, as someone who was moving down this path that she thought was, I don't know, whatever motivated her to go down that path. And it's really led her to regret some of the decisions that she's made in her life. I, so I love watching her struggle with the, with the consequences of her actions. And I love seeing Tom Felton's performance going through basically the same thing, dealing with the consequences of his parents' actions and the way that he was raised. It's heartbreaking. Well, it makes for an interesting contrast because, you know, they're people who like feeling superior to each other. And their belief system has allowed them to pretend that they are superior to everyone. But the moment that is challenged by something that's truly superior to them is scary. You know, they they are at the realization of finally, oh, well, we're really not any better and we're not really cared about by our belief system and what we've said we've always believed we kind of maybe put our faith in the wrong thing and uh, we've lived you know with with the wrong set of values and it's all coming back to bite us in the butt now Mm -hmm. and i think it's it's really interesting to watch that play out in this family and it continues obviously on into the next book and into the next film. And I think it's really interesting. Well, and you sympathize with them as human beings too, right? You're, you don't necessarily think, well... For the first time yeah, ever. for the first time ever. You're not sitting there thinking like, well, they deserved it. You actually feel for them as human characters and, you know, just feel terrible that this is the situation that they found themselves in because of how they've chosen to live their lives. And, and I love... Again, Alan Rickman's performance, too, because you can tell he genuinely takes that oath because he really does want to protect Malfoy because he fully understands what they've gotten themselves into. So, again, there's some really excellent acting happening there where you can tell he doesn't want to do it, but he genuinely does. He's a really conflicted character, and I loved getting to see that on screen. No, I I completely agree with you, and I I think... It, it makes for a really interesting thing because uh, Dumbledore, I don't, because Snape there isn't just promising that he's going to protect Malfoy, but I think he's also continuing on with the promise that he's made and the pact that he has with yeah, Dumbledore. Absolutely. And, and so there's so many more layers here. And again, that's frustrating thing because the movie can't and doesn't do a good enough job of really helping you know what's truly behind everything yeah. and and that's that's just a frustration so um one of the things that i really notice about this film and this is again and this is funny because it's jumping back to what we were talking about with harry but i really like the way that harry takes care of his friends he's such a good friend isn't he yeah um you know we we kind of always think of the person in the be- like like harry as being all out for themselves but i mean just this the the way in which you know, he's got the Felix Felicis and he realizes that Ron is just going to be awful at his first Quidditch game. And he knows exactly what his friend needs. His friend needs to be able to get out of his mind and just be able to perform because his friend's good enough to do that. And the best way to do that is to trick him into thinking that he's got a magic potion that's going to make him the you know the placebo yeah. basically and i love that about harry that he he does that for his friend and not because it's just going to help him and his team win but because he doesn't want ron going out there and looking like an idiot in front of everyone well and he wants ron to believe in himself and really like that's why the placebo works so well because it doesn't just give him strength for one day it right. teaches him strength for his whole life it's a lesson that he can carry with him forever and we should all be so lucky to have a friend like Harry Potter, really. Like, what a good friend he is. Yeah. Well, and and then, I mean, we talked about his, his relationship with Hermione and, and how he's there for her. Yeah. And then I just love classic Harry. He takes Luna to the party with him. Isn't that you know, the best? Like, I love that It's so just much. the best ever. And uh, she's talking about how she wears shoes to bed because she ends up wandering the hall, sleepwalking at night. And it's just, ah. Uh, Man, what great stuff. She's so perfect she really in that is. role. Well, I'm trying to think if, if there's anything that 
we really missed about the movie. Uh, and I think the only thing I want to ask you about uh, that I'm thinking of right now was the Felix Felicis scene with Harry on Felix Felicis. Yeah. Uh, and how do you, uh, because my wife turned to me, she's like, is, is he playing it like he's drunk? He's playing it like he or... was high. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like that was the impression that I got. And I was like, oh, that was a, not the direction I would have gone. <laughs> it was a little awkward. No, no, because the way he's like, then come on, sir. And it's just so weird. It's like, what's wrong with you? I mean, the, the funniest part is when he's like, and the pinches. And it's it's it was a, it was it was overboard. It was a little too much. It was overblown. Well, and, and what's strange about it too is it it Felix Felicis and what it's supposed to give you, it seems like it would make you the best version of yourself. Yeah, and it made him just a silly, stupid which, version. Right. It doesn't seem like it would make you the high version yeah. of yourself. I mean, uh apparently Pineapple Express and Felix Felicis have a lot in common. <laughs> So, <laughs> just didn't know. No, there's uh, a it's comparison just the wizarding I never world. thought I'd hear. Yeah. yeah, I just, you didn't know that those two things were so <laughs> much, so similar. So, wow. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and I do have to say this that, okay, so I was reading up a little bit on this film, and one of the things that I noticed is that this is the first Harry Potter movie where they do a lot of color correction, mm. where there's a heavy, tone correction in the film and it definitely sets a mood from the very beginning but i was noticing how well that made all the visual effects and the background work that they do when I, and what i mean is the the cg backdrops that they're doing mm -hmm. because they're compositing all that together with the color correction and the color grading I feel like it looked really good because when they're playing Quidditch, it looked fantastic. Uh, things like that just looked better than they have in other Harry Potter movies. And this is the one Harry Potter movie where I feel like that the CGI work, for the most part, holds up better than anything else we've seen so I far. I will say that. I, I do think the CGI work looked um, a lot better in this one than it had I don't think we saw as many fantastical characters in this one. So I, I, I feel like that's always the, the downfall, right? Is the fully CG characters. Um, but I really am t so tired of this cyan orange phase that we're in, in film creation right now. And I, I didn't like it in this movie either. No, I, I can understand what you're saying. Everything is shifted you're saying. so cyan in this movie. Yeah, there is definitely a huge amount of color grading that happens yeah. in the movie. And you're absolutely right. And I think I think here it's meant to have that foreboding tone. Uh, because in the book, Rowling describes how, you know, now that the mentors are loose, they're causing it to rain all the time. People are... You know, generally depressed because their dementors are loose everywhere. So it really does, I think, in this film fit. But I understand what you're saying because a lot of movies have been doing this kind of thing. So it just feels like, oh, well, they're doing the same thing they've done before. Yeah, I, th I think for me, it's been going on too long. So it's hard for me to appreciate sometimes. Yeah. Well, and I think one of the reasons that they do it in general, just color grading for film is because when you do that, it helps everything blend together, especially when you have a yeah. uh, a lot of CGI work. Yeah. Everything. Uh, but I think you're right. You need to make sure that that tone fits the movie that you're doing and not just look like every other movie. Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, and, and I, totally, I totally get, like you're saying, it, it helps you match everything a lot more easily. I'm just, I don't know. For whatever reason, it, it stood out to me even more when I was watching this film than it had in previous ones. And I guess I was just sick of it the day that I watched this movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, and I think, you know, the fact that we've been watching all these movies, you know, throughout the year and we just did the last one. But this one definitely has a distinct mm -hmm. look to it as compared to yeah, the others. And I think that you see it here even more than you did in the fifth one because there's Color grading in that, but it's not as severe as it is yeah. in here. So I completely understand what you're saying. 
Which leads me to, in the end, I'd, what would you rate the Half-Blood Prince? I'd give it a three and a half out of five. Um, I'll say three and a half Half-Blood Prince potions books out of five. Um, because there is still some really great stuff happening here. In, in particular, some of the phenomenal acting that we've been gushing over uh, today. But there are some definite problems with this movie and it's not my favorite Harry Potter film. I Wow, I think you just completely nailed it. Not much of that I can add to that because my rating is exactly the same. I, I, it's, it's, it's probably 3.25, 3.5 depending Ooh, on the we're day. We're really splitting hairs now. I love it. Yeah, yeah. I, you definitely. Um, it, it's like we're splitting Aragog hairs. <laughs> so yeah, 3.25 Aragog hairs uh, since he died in this film. And I'm right there with you. To me, this is honestly the worst of the Harry Potter movies. And people might be shocked to think that I think that. But I just don't think this movie is very good. And the reason that I think that is is for the reasons that we mentioned. And, and, and again, I've had to put myself in the mindset, what if I'm only watching the films? What if I've never read the books? What does this movie leave me with? And what I realize what this movie leaves me with is not very much. And yeah. that's not a good thing when I'm going into the end of the series. That's a really bad movie-making choice because you can never assume that your audience has read or watched or done something else. You always need to assume that they need to be told the most amount of information in the least amount of time. Yeah. And so to me, it just it, it really is lackluster in that area. Um, and I'd say the, the one that's next to that is probably the Goblet of Fire because of the way in which it doesn't give you enough information. So, yeah. Uh, I don't hate the movie, yeah, obviously. me either. Uh, and there's a ton that I love about it. I, the, the fact that I love, I just, I absolutely love the interpersonal relationship stuff. That's what I love watching about this film. And that's why I will keep watching this movie. Uh, the rest of it just falls flat for me for the most part. Yeah. You know what you said earlier? You reminded me of Aragog's death, right? In this movie, mm -hmm. we see a funeral for a spider, but not for Dumbledore. Oh gosh, that's awful. That's a three-star movie. Yeah. You're right. It's a. It's a. It, forget three point two five. That knocks it's it a down three to a three-star. I think I completely agree. Mm. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. That's a right. big problem. Um, mm. It totally yeah. is a big problem. You know, it's not a big problem though is that we have amazing associate producers here on the 602 Club who make sure that we can keep doing this show, which I love. So excited to have men of this caliber and people of this caliber supporting the network through Patreon. I really appreciate that Ken Tripp, Davis Grayson, and Norman Lau are associate producers here on the show through Patreon. Thank you so much to all of you who have gone to Patreon already and seen how you can support the network. There's just, this network is massive, and it does cost a lot to keep it running. And we can't do it without listeners just like you. So just go to patreon.com slash trekfm and you can see how you can be part of the team and help support the network each and every week. Every little bit helps. So again, that's patreon.com slash trekfm. Megan, I gotta say, I think, I think we had a fantastic show today. Uh, I just really do. I had so much fun talking about this film with you. And, uh, you know, I, for all that we talked about that I don't love, I really brought home to me that some of the things that I truly do love about the movie. And so I hope everybody will go check it out. And what I hope this series is doing, if you've never read the books, please go, go read, read the, the books. books. Go read the books. Just, just go read the books. But uh, as they're reading the books, Megan, and where can they find you and tweet you out their questions? And uh, of course, the podcast that you're on, and then of course, the podcast network that you're a part of as yeah, well. So if you want to find me personally, I'm at Meg Calcote, M E G C A L C O T E. And you can find me at that handle on Twitter and Instagram. And if you want to know more about my podcast, it's called Educating Geeks. And it's very similar to what Matthew does here on the 602 Club. We like to find people who have never experienced our favorite fandoms and bring them into the fold. We don't revoke geek cards. If we find out a friend of ours has never read or seen Harry Potter movies, we sit down, watch them, and talk about it after and see what they think from a newbie perspective. 
Yes, you don't revoke geek cards. You actually just give out. That's the right. Geek cards. We're, we're issuing geek that's cards right. left and right because that's what the community is <laughs> about. We want to welcome new people. Um, so you can find us at educatinggeeks.com or we're educating geeks on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Easy to find us. That's right. And what are you doing? If you're not listening to them, you should be because it's a lot of fun. Uh, I've been over there on the show before and. Uh, you shouldn't just check it out because of that. You should check it out because it's awesome. While you're doing that, you can find me on Twitter at MattRushing02. You can also find me here on the network doing The Orb with Chris Jones. You can also find me on Literary Treks with Bruce and Dan where we're talking about the books and comics of Star Trek. We're also getting an opportunity to interview the authors, talk about their latest works, which is a lot of fun, so please check that out. Uh, of course, we have the 602 Club Star Wars feed, so all the Star Wars episodes are in their own special feed. Just search for Star Wars, a 602 Club collection, so just check that out on iTunes. It's a lot of fun, and uh, we can definitely use your Star Reading reviews there. And, of course, I'm on Aggressive Negotiations with John Mills, where we talk all about Star Wars each week. It's so much fun. We have a blast just diving into some strange, esoteric topic each week. Make sure you check that out on thenerdparty.com or of course you can also check that out on iTunes well thank you so much for joining us and y'all come back now you hear you hear